Uh, such a, a beautiful testimony to, to God's love. Um, the passage I'm going to read with my sermon also kind of connect to this theme. I feel like God's speaking. He wants us to know of his love. Uh, so I'm going to read to us uh, Romans chapter 5, and then we continue with our final week of our Christmas series, uh, looking at some of the Christmas trappings that we have, uh, that we use to celebrate Christmas, and how we can actually see that they point us towards the true meaning of Christmas. But Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, Today I'm going to actually be speaking uh, on the topic of gift giving. Uh, on the fact that at Christmas time we give one another presents. And where has this come from and why do we do this? And what does this point towards? What's this all about? Uh, and I feel like I'm in a fairly good place to be able to speak about gift giving or perhaps maybe gift receiving. Uh, I've actually uh, I've had a birthday just this week on Friday. Yes, uh, I am no longer in my 30s. Uh, that's all right, though. Lots of good things ahead, surely. Uh, yes? Yep, good. Wonderful. Uh, so I've received some pretty good birthday presents this week, actually. Uh, and so I've had some first-hand experience of what it's like to receive good gifts. But what makes a gift good? Is it because it's something that you want or that you really need and it kind of meets that need? Uh, a good gift is something that is, is desired, that helps provide something that has been or would have been lacking. Uh, so I, I've got, uh, I haven't received it yet, but I have the promise of a new, of a new bike, uh, which is good because church is about a half an hour walk from home, uh, which I think is probably about a 12, 10 minute ride, 10, maybe 10 minute when I few months in, maybe it might be a 10 minute ride, uh, but that, that's going to that's gonna save me some time, it's going to hopefully help me a bit with my fitness, uh, which we all can use, let's be honest, um, and so uh, 
like it's, it's a good gift. It's a gift that helps with something that I need. It's something that I want. It's got all the kind of things that you want in a good gift. And we all desire to give good gifts that show the person that we're giving the gift to that we've, we've thought about them. We, we know what they like. We know what they need. We care about them. And so we want to give them something that expresses exactly that. Uh, I've also received one or two not-so-great gifts. Um, uh, no, we'll get there. <laughs> things that I didn't really ask and want for, things that I couldn't really use. Uh, I, think, I think my parents struggled a bit when I was a teenager. Um, I mean, my parents have ne never been the, the greatest of gift givers. Um, they, they love a repurposed gift, uh, something that they've kind of got from uh, another uh, second-hand shop, which I have no, no problem with, uh, but they normally go for the cheapest thing that you can tell has been pre-loved, uh, which is fine, which is great. Uh, they also uh, love a bargain, and so they'll buy, they'll buy a, a new present when it's on special, uh, normally because it's either about to go out of date or it is already out of date. So I've received food gifts that have been a year expired uh, as a birthday present. Uh, but when I was a teenager, I remember uh, one Christmas parent saying, well, well, what do you want? I think I was about 14 or 15. What do you want for Christmas? And I didn't really know either. I was a 14-year-old boy. I didn't really know. And, and so I, I thought of probably what is the, a parent's worst Thing that you could say. I said, I want a surprise. <laughs> What's that? Uh, and I got a surprise. Uh, so for Christmas that year, my parents got me my very own laundry basket for my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps a present not so much for me, but maybe more for them. Uh, another year, I got, uh, it's a bit of a theme, uh, I got like a, a nice Persian rug for the floor of my bedroom. <laughs> what every 16-year-old boy wants, right? Something to make their room look a bit neater and a bit tidier. Uh, no one wants to give a bad gift. Last week, Nick spoke to us uh, on St. Nicholas, and he mentioned some of the origins of gift giving and how kind of they were made very popular by the Dutch in the, the 19th century as they sought to celebrate St. Nicholas and to carry on the legacy of giving to others. Uh, some have even pointed even further back from not just the 19th century, but they've kind of gone way, way, way back, even to before Jesus. So they kind of have some suggestions that like some other things that existed in the ancient world, when the church was born and people started becoming Jesus' followers, they looked around at what their culture was already celebrating and they worked to think, are there ways that we can help use these things to actually point people towards Jesus and towards our good God? Uh, and so they did that with gift giving. They reinterpreted a tradition that may have already existed. Because uh, it said 
that the Roman festival of Saturnalia, the celebration of the Roman god Saturn, uh, the holiday was celebrated with a, a sacrifice at the temple of Saturn in Rome, uh, and then there was a public banquet for Saturn, and then after the banquet, there was private gift giving. People would give gifts to one another. And they think it happened at a similar sort of time uh, in the kind of the calendar event. So maybe the Christians have seen this uh, festival of Saturnalia and have gone, well, we don't want to worship and celebrate Saturn, but we want people to be able to take what they might already be familiar with and be able to help understand how we can use that to celebrate Jesus. And they then pointed to the Magi, the first people who brought the baby Jesus gifts and was a, a remembrance and a celebration of the gifts that were given. We, we give to each other as a reminder of the story of Christmas. Now, the origins aren't overly clear of where this whole gift giving comes from. That's what some people have said. Uh, you could argue that it seems a little bit of a long bow. Uh, but as Nick spoke about, in some ways it doesn't really matter. It's clear that our society has embraced gift-giving pretty wholeheartedly. Uh, I love how Nick put our society's view of gift-giving, that rather than it being about uh, giving to others and actually out of charity or care or love, it's almost become this thing that represents capitalism, consumerism and waste. How much does our actual gift-giving today point towards Jesus or how much is it just a way to make some money. So what do we do with gift giving then? Do we just give it away? Thank you. <laughs> Ultimately, this is something that you'll need to uh, consider for yourselves. Uh, I like to think that the, what the early church tried to do with a few different things, maybe we could try and do something like that in our, in our modern day. Perhaps we can reinterpret, we can redeem gift-giving. What I like to focus on with the idea of gift-giving at Christmas time is that the gifts we give actually should point us towards another gift. We give gifts to remind each other of the one who has given the greatest gift. Jesus, the greatest gift God could ever provide us with was himself. He came down into our world. But just like with all the Christmas trappings that are around us today, sometimes as we even think about the Christmas story, we can sometimes lose sight of that that's what Christmas is about, celebrating the greatest gift. With all the different characters, there's angels, shepherd, there's the star that appears and then moves across the night sky, there's wise men or magi who travel from a long distance, and we're not even sure how many of them there were. We know there was three gifts. And then, and then there's the, the little boy, you know, the one who thought that a mother just given birth would want a drum solo. Uh, fortunately, he's not actually in our Bibles. Uh, he's kind of a, a bit more of a modern take on things. Uh, but he was actually supposed 
to be a representation of bringing whatever you have to express your thankfulness to God and to Jesus. Which I actually think is a sweet sentiment, that he didn't have much, but what he did have, he brought to Jesus, despite it being a really odd image of a boy playing a drum solo to a lady who's just given birth with a kid who's potentially trying to sleep. Uh, but that's, it's like a, there's a sweet sentiment there. However, at the end of the day, we can sometimes lose focus of what it's all about. With all these different characters and everything that's going on, we can lose that the focus is on the baby Jesus. And it, as we even come to, to focus on the baby Jesus, I think sometimes that can be quite confusing for people in our society who don't understand the bigger picture. We come and we celebrate still, 2,000 years later, a baby that was born. Now, don't get me wrong, I love babies. Babies are great. I think they're wonderful and they are worth celebrating. The arrival of a safe baby is something that's worth celebrating. But since Jesus was born, depending on which site you go to, they have guessed that there's been approximately 50 to 60 billion babies born, including you and me and everyone else in this room. And yet all these years later, we are still celebrating this one particular baby. So what is it about this baby that we celebrate? Because I think sometimes in the nativity story, with all the angels appearing and shepherds coming and worshipping and wise men bringing gifts, we kind of think that it's just about a baby that's been born. When actually, what Christmas is, is about celebrating what this baby grows up to achieve for us. This baby isn't just an ordinary baby. Emmanuel. God with us. This baby is the incarnate deity. God in flesh. No other baby that has ever lived has been God himself. The reason we still celebrate Christmas, the reason we still celebrate this baby being born, is because what this baby grows up to do. Because he doesn't stay a baby. Jesus grows up to be a man. A man who listens to and follows God perfectly. A man who cares for and loves others deeply. A man who teaches truths about God and his kingdom like no one has ever experienced before. A man who shows us glimpses of God's kingdom through the miracles he performs as heaven literally breaks into our world. A man who, after having lived his life, is, is arrested, after being betrayed by a friend, is falsely accused, is mocked, beaten, abandoned by all his followers and nailed to a Roman cross. Then when all seems done and dusted, this man rises back to life, proving that he has conquered death, 
proving everything he claimed has been true, proving that he alone is the source of life eternal. That's what the Bible reading today was about. Bit of a weird one for a Christmas series, Romans chapter 5, but it actually focuses not on what happened at the birth, but what this baby grows up to do and to achieve for us. We read in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus did all these things as a demonstration of God's love for you. Verse 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 is even stronger. Where it talks about us that Jesus did this while we were God's enemies. Sometimes when I want to understand something a little bit better in the Bible, I go back to the original Greek to be able to see how the words being chosen that we have. And I actually did that for these two words, the word that gets translated sinners and the words that get translated enemies in verse 8 and 10. So in verse 8, the word that is translated into the English word sinners is hamar, sorry, hamartolon. Yep, hamartolon, which literally means to miss the mark. To miss the mark or to wander from the right and correct path to kind of wander off the path, path that you were supposed to be on. While we missed God's mark, while we wandered off his path, Jesus died for us. In verse 10, the word that is translated into our English enemies is ekthroi. Ekthroi means to be openly hostile. God reconciled us by Jesus' death while we were openly hostile towards him. The point that Romans 5 is trying to make, I believe, is that we have missed the mark. We have wandered from God's path and we find ourselves trapped in our sin, being openly hostile to the God who made us, who created us, who's given us life. We reject his love, his rule, what he has created us for. We are rejecting the giver of life. Why is this such a big deal? Well, just one chapter later, in Romans chapter 6, the author makes it clear that when we do this, when we wander from the path and when we miss the mark, the wages of sin, the thing that we deserve, what we should rightly get, that's what a wage is, what you rightly deserve, the wage of sin is death. The wages of sin are death. What we deserve for wandering from the path, what we deserve for our hostility, our open rebellion, is death. But I've, not, I've only told you the first half of that verse because that verse in Romans 6 continues and it says but but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord that is the good news of the gospel that is what we celebrate at Christmas that God demonstrates his love for us 
while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I remember speaking to a non-Christian friend. Well, he was somebody as a young adult who had been in church and he'd kind of stepped out and stepped away. And he was saying, it kind of would have been easy for Jesus. This was his opinion. He's like, he gives up his life and he saves everybody on earth. I mean, what person wouldn't do that, right? What person wouldn't give up their life to save everybody? It doesn't seem a right sort of thing to be able to celebrate him as some sort of hero for doing that. Until you get to Romans chapter 5. And you realise that Jesus did this for people which had turned, his back, turned their backs on him. It would kind of be like somebody dying for a group of terrorists. Somebody that were known to be evil, wicked people. And this person goes, well, I'm going to save these people. We might have some issues with that. We might be like, hang on, they've, they've committed atrocities. They've done horrible things. They deserve to be punished. They deserve to get what's coming to them. That's a closer analogy to what Jesus does for you and for me. While we were sinners, when we were God's enemies, living in open hostility and rebellion against our Lord and our King, Jesus was born. At just the right time, Emmanuel, God with us, stepped into our world to come and to bring us life. God's gift to us is Jesus, a baby who would grow up to deal with our biggest problem, who would grow up to deal with our sin. He deals with our wandering from the path. He deals with our open hostility. He deals with the reality that what we deserve for our sins is death. He deals with this by taking what we deserve upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. To give us the gift of reconciliation and peace with God. He takes our sin, he takes our rebellion, our hostility upon himself, and he receives the punishment that we deserve. Because not only is God loving and good, he is just. And our wickedness and our sin must be punished. And Jesus takes that upon himself and he deals with it. And he dies in our place. But even more than this, Jesus doesn't just take away our sin. Because that would just leave us neutral, right? If we are sinners and we are enemies and God deals with our sin and he removes our sin, we're just neutral before God. But that's not all that Jesus does. He then gifts us his righteousness. He replaces our guilt with his goodness. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. 
doesn't see our hostility, doesn't see our rebellion. He sees Jesus' innocence. He sees Jesus' purity. He sees Jesus' righteousness. Now, this is something that I struggle to always understand myself. And so one of the things that I have locked in my mind is a particular verse. Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we accept what Jesus has done, and if we truly are committed to him, to living for him, to loving him, to serving him, there is no condemnation. He has set us free. He has reconciled us to our heavenly Father. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is God's greatest gift to us, who takes away our sin, our greatest problem. He deals with our biggest need, and then he provides our biggest want of reconciliation with God in one action as he dies with his arms outspread on the cross. Jesus does that for us. That is a gift worth celebrating. That is a gift worth remembering. And that is why we give gifts to remind one another of God's greatest gift. So this Christmas, as you're around the tree, or as whatever your tradition is regarding how you open these gifts and receive things, as you seek to give good gifts, may you be reminded of the one who gave the greatest gift, who dealt with what you needed more than anything else and give you, gave you what you wanted more than you could have possibly imagined. May that truth be with you this Christmas morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for he is Emmanuel, God with us that you saw our sin, that you saw our wickedness, our rebellion, you saw our hostility and the reality that that was going to lead to our death. But because of your incredible love, you did not leave us in that state. You stepped into the mess of our world. You stepped in show what your kingdom is like. You stepped in to deal with our sin, to pay the price for us and to be able to reconcile us to you through Jesus' righteousness, through his goodness, through his purity. May we celebrate that more than all else this Christmas. As we look at the Christmas lights, may we be reminded of the light of the world. As we see all those images of that guy dressed in red who gives presents, may we be reminded of St. Nicholas and be inspired to be charitable and for, to care for the poor and the oppressed, not just in December, but all throughout the year, Father. And as we give and receive gifts at this time, May we be reminded of your greatest gift. May we be reminded of your love and your care for us. You demonstrated your love for us in this while we were sinners.
Christ died for us. Amen.